slam on the money line, and then roll it over every single time they win. Way out of here. Oh, goodness. The last seven games in which they've come in with rest have all gone under. Plus 115, the price I paid for this, the yeah, I like it. Makes the catch at the 10, and he's in for a touchdown. This is Behind the Bets, the podcast. Welcome into another Behind the Bets podcast. I'm Doug Kazarian. We're taping this on Tuesday, July 13th. So another travel day, but there is no travel between these uh, the games three and four, but there is an extra day. So it's a nice little kind of processing of everything, taking inventory. And I think the NBA, given the... All-Star kind of this Tuesday night to the uh, Major League Baseball All-Star game. So game four tomorrow, but we have Brian Windhorst coming up, going to discuss that. But we also have some international hoops to discuss. Brian has been covering Team USA in Las Vegas, and obviously the storyline, we all know it by now, 0-2 out of the gates, surprising upsets, 28.5-point favorite, 13.5-point favorite, losing outright. They have another game coming up later this afternoon, and we're going to also talk a little bit on the on the macro side of the Olympics because it sounds like there's going to be a lot of value and opportunities fading this U.S. team with the points, maybe not losing outright. They're still a prohibitive uh, odds-on favorite, but certainly some interesting facts and nuggets and perception and just analysis that Brian has that I think is going to be really valuable for us to handicap once the Olympic basketball starts and maybe another friendly, if there is one, after today between now and the start of the games in Tokyo. But we're going to discuss uh, international hoops first and then also NBA Finals and whether the Bucks can rally and make this a series by winning Game 4. All that straight ahead. Go pick me out a winner, Bobby. Time now to welcome in a somewhat regular guest here on the Behind the Bets podcast, a friend of mine, Brian Windhorse, who is also in Las Vegas. And we have yet to connect, though. Brian, how are you? I'm uh, getting up at like 5.30 on some of these days and, and teeing off by 7.00. To uh, you know, to try to finish before it gets it gets ridiculous. But I'm really enjoying it, to be honest. Yeah, with you. beat the heat. It is uh, it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, I, I know it's hot in the summers, but it's gotten out of hand a couple times. One seventeen the other day. Um, I'll tell you what. I bet you saw Popovich is getting up at five thirty, losing some sleep perhaps because Team USA not looking good right now. And we know the sort of narrative with the international play is that they're more they have more continuity. Um. You know, USA is going to get everyone's best shot, but this is this is really unexpected here. Zero and two out of the gates. There's another game coming up tonight. Eighteen and a half. They're laying to Argentina. I like them in the first half minus ten and a half. But I just, in general, is there a con- level of concern here for a team that's minus four hundred to win the gold? Yeah. By the way, I, one of the things about tonight's game, I, I don't know how who's going to play for the U.S. They don't have a huge selection of players. They've only got nine of their um of their national team players because uh Middleton Holiday and Booker are in the finals so they they've got some some other young guys there but it's considering it's a back-to-back and not only is it a back-to-back but yesterday's game was a five o'clock start and this today's game is three o'clock local <clears throat> I'm not sure what you're going to see from the U.S. in that game but uh, Argentina is in the same boat and um they're 0-2 so far so um you know I think there's two ways to look at this on one hand um uh the teams that they're playing are so much more talented than the teams that they were playing even five to seven years ago. Um, you know, I, I mean, I made a deal of this too. You know, they beat Nigeria nine years ago in the Olympics by 83 and five years ago by 43, <laughs> but the team they beat five years ago didn't have seven NBA players on it. Right. And not only that, but 
one of their best players, um, uh, um, uh, Okafor, Jaleel Okafor, didn't even play against the Americans. He came back and played against the Argentinians on Tuesday and had 15 points. So they didn't even face the full-scale Nigeria team, if you can believe that. So it's just, it's just not comparable. But the other side of that is the U.S. team is loaded. You know, two years ago, I went to China with Team USA, and they finished seventh in the World Cup. And, you know, really was their worst finish in, you know, you know since the 2004 um, Athens games, which they still won bronze in. But their worst finish ever in the World Cup. And that team, it just frankly wasn't very good. There was only one or two players in the whole roster who had ever even been all-stars. And so while you could look at some things and see some cracks, that was not a representative team. I know that LeBron and Steph Curry uh, and Anthony Davis aren't playing, but this is a representative team. This team is loaded. Like uh, 10 of the players, I think, are, are were all-stars in the last year. And um, almost everybody in their rotation was either all NBA this year or should have been all NBA. Like Durant didn't make it because of injuries, but trust me, he's all NBA player. Right. So um, having said that, when you see that much talent, they should struggle and still win. And I guess what we're learning is that they can't struggle and and win anymore. And that's in a tournament where it's single elimination in a tournament where the games are 40 minutes, not 48. And I always mention that Doug, because I cannot overstate the massive difference between a 40 minute game and a 48 minute game. Um, I have now, dating back to 2006, when I covered uh, Team USA in Tokyo when they lost in the World Cup to the Greeks, which is the only loss that Mike Krzyzewski had as the coach. He was 75-1, and one, um, and he, that was the only game he lost. Um, that game, the games in China, and then these games, I, I believe that those losses all would have been wins for the U.S. if they were 48-minute games. The 40-minute game changes everything and so um you would you know it's it you you know how the ncaa tournament is ripe for upsets because of the nature of it you know they they don't want the americans i say they the international uh, basketball doesn't really want the americans to win all the time so they've set the rules to make it harder for the americans and we've always just overcome it because we've been so good but because the the talent level is tighter it's we don't we just don't have the same margin for error and that's what's being rammed home this week a lot of interesting analysis in that and i really appreciate it because that you're right it is a different animal and i guess my question is what went wrong against australia because the team has some players that are respected for sure baines patty mills and ingles but same amount of turnovers u.s made more threes lower percentage but made more threes mm-hmm. um was the U.S. just not locking down defensively? Is there a chemistry on defense that's lacking? Because many people overlook that when just talking about chemistry. They think it's all like offensive sets, but there's a lot of uh, familiarity with a defensive teammate. Right, and what I'm about to say could affect um, how tight they play games going forward. So for the betters, it's, it's, it's important to, to know this. When they built this team, they elected to go away from having traditional big men. In, um, in China... They had Miles Turner from the Pacers, pure center. They had Brooke Lopez from the Bucks, as pure of a center as you can find, although he shoots threes, but, you know, classic big man. Um, and they had Mason Plumley, 
who they kept over Bam Adebayo, which I know sounds crazy, but um, they were concerned about some of the European big men. Um, and they have completely gone the opposite direction. They don't have a true center on the roster. Um, there are three guys who can play center are Bam Adebayo, who does play center for the Heat, but is not a traditional center. I mean, he, br- he brings the ball up the court sometimes. Uh, Kevin Love, who is a power forward, although his athleticism makes it very hard for him to play it that way, but you know, he's not a traditional center. And um, Draymond Green, who, again, does play center at times for the uh, Warriors and has for years, but is not a traditional center. And they have gone to versatility and shooting. They want shooting and versatility out there because their plotting centers got lit up a little bit in China. Um, you know, for example, they almost lost to Turkey and Hito Turkoglu was playing center. And, you know, it was, you know, just to give you an idea of how the teams are playing and, you know, having Brooke Lopez try to cover Hito Turkoglu wasn't working. As a result, though, Doug, we're small. When you look at our roster, we're small. And the Australians knew that. And the Australians attacked uh, the Americans inside. And um, I would say... Uh, I would say maybe, a, you know, I didn't like break down the film or anything, but I would say probably about 10 different times in that game, they got um, a pass into the restricted area. I'm not talking about the paint. I'm talking about that little half circle, you know, three feet from the basket. They entered a pass in there to a guy who was either wide open because of a cut or some sort of, you know, off ball screen or had a super favorable matchup where they forced like a switch onto Bradley Beal or Damian Lillard. And they, they, they had 22, um, 22 baskets in the paint. And I think they had something like 12 or 14 in the restricted area. And we just couldn't stop them. And look, um, Dame Lillard is a weak defender because largely yeah. because of his size. Um, that's one of the reasons why the Blazers were 29th in defense this last year. Um, but Dame Lillard's so awesome offensively, and especially in a 40-minute game, you'd figure, well, okay, so he's going to get switched on to and get scored on a couple of times, but he's going to kill you, and you're going to be a net positive. Well, Lillard played really well against the Australians. He had 22 points, but uh, Patty Mills had 22 as well, mm-hmm. and um, not to mention all the times where Lillard got switched on to guys. So we don't have the interior defense, and you may say to yourself, well, where are the American big men? And I'm going to tell you, if you go look at big men who are available, um, who are, you know, they don't want stand, they don't want Brooke Lopez and Miles Turner, who are like athletic big men, there's not a lot of American options. And when I say this to people, they go, how come Carl Anthony Towns isn't on the team? And I'm like, man, Carl Anthony Towns would be great. But Carl Anthony Towns is uh, even though he's born and raised in the U.S., he's he's chosen to be a Dominican national for basketball. He's played for the Dominican Republic team. He's not eligible. Um, uh, uh, DeAndre Ayton, I know Jalen Rose said, you know, Kevin Love should make it. DeAndre Ayton should. DeAndre Ayton would be amazing for Team USA. He is exactly the type of player that they need. He is from the Bahamas. He is Bahamanian. Um, and you go look, and it's like <laughs> – Go seriously, go look at all the rosters of the teams. There's not a lot of a um, true American athletic centers. The guy that the, the people are like, oh, LeBron should come and play, uh, Steph should come and play. No, 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 no. They got plenty of perimeter talent. <clears throat> the guy who they are missing is Anthony Davis, who is not playing because he hurt his groin. 
that's the guy that they are really missing. And that's what Australia knew. And that's what Australia attacked. Yeah. And, and it's a great point to the other bigs in, in, in the league. Cause we know the, you know, the Joker is not American and we know these like stud big men, uh, the Greek freak as well uh, are not American and it would be nice to have them on team USA, but that's just not an option. So, I mean, I, I mean, just to example, like, uh, Nikola Vucevic from the Bulls, he would be a terrific international player. Uh, you know, maybe not terrific, but he'd be a nice addition. But you know, not American. Right. <laughs> you know, Yusef Nurkic, not American. You mentioned Jokic, not American. I mean, you know the, so, you know the the big men in the league. You know, Joel Embiid. My God, Joel Embiid would be amazing to have. He is from Cameroon. You know, he's you know <laughs> the league is very international now, and so are the the competition in the for the for the gold medal. So as terrible as Argentina's roster is, and it is terrible, Luis Scola is their best player, and Campazzo <laughs> yeah. is also playing. Um, and that's it. Because, like, Nigeria is loaded with NBA talent, as you alluded to earlier, and Australia has some guys as well, even if it's Della Vadova. They're guys that are in the league. Campazzo wasn't in the league until all the injuries ravaged Denver, and then also Scola is a former nba -er. So this team's bad. They lost to Nigeria by 23. Did have a much more competitive game against Australia, but... I was looking at first half, but to your point, like it's it's tough to get behind them if there's just such vulnerability here and 18 and a half for the game is really enticing. Yeah, I mean, you know, the here's the thing about the Argentinians. You're a hundred percent right. Um, it was also true with the 2019 World Cup. Now, Argentina has a great history of basketball. Um, correct. They won the World Cup in 2002, and they won the 2004 gold medal the year the Americans right. finished the, the Larry Brown team, Carmelo, and yeah. yeah. And I have to say, I covered them in 2006. Um, they were maybe a little past their prime, but they were probably the most amazing offensive team that I had ever seen. The way that they played together, and, and we're talking about Ginobili in his prime, some other NBA players that you'll no doubt remember, Carlos Delfino, Fabricio Alberto, uh, Luis Scola, as you mentioned, they were amazing. The Argentinians, um, yes, they're all old, but guess what? They finished with a silver medal at the 2019 World Cup. Hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, they can be feisty. Although I have to say, um, Nigeria, I don't know what Nigeria is. I don't know what their odds are to win the gold. Um, I'd say it's a pretty big long shot, but Nigeria might really have something and I know you probably can't wager on them to medal, right? You'd have to just wager on them to win the gold. There'll be more um, props as the Olympics get closer, like more books will offer it and there'll be more stuff. That's, I out. mean, if you're already at the book and you just want to take a little flyer bet, you know, at a small number for a, for big odds, like Nigeria eyebrows are shooting up at Nigeria because again, we just saw the Australians who are, who are gold medal contenders. Okay. Are they? They are legitimately a team that we think could, if everything right, wins a gold medal. Um, Australia, you know, handled the U.S. and and Argentina lost to Australia at the buzzer. So those three teams, you know, relatively competitive so far. Nigeria beat the U.S. and pounded Argentina off the court, pounded them. Now they're going to play Spain. Um, actually. Today, uh, Australia is playing Nigeria, and um, that game will be interesting. And then later this week, they're going to play Spain. Um, but Nigeria, uh, my eyebrows are up on them. 
Uh, okay. just leave 25 that. to one at the Westgate right now. That's not as good as I would have thought. 25 to one. Um, yeah, a little surprised. I was thinking like 75. Well, I guess there's only 12 teams, right? Yeah, you so shop around a little bit. Um, they're in the opener of the Olympics. They get, they get Australia actually. And Australia is minus five and a half in that game. In that game already. Yeah. And then the U S opens with France and U S is 15 and a half. Oh boy. Ooh. What do we know about France win horse? Well, they beat the Americans in 2019, but, but, you know, here's the thing about um, and the reason why the Americans went to all shooting is because, as I said, there's rule changes in FIBA that specifically are designed to, to take away the U S uh, strength. I mean, they'd never say that, but that's just the truth. And so one big thing you, you know, it, it, you're allowed to, you're allowed to goaltend. You're not allowed to goaltend, like swat the ball out of the air, but if the ball's on the rim, you're allowed to right. take it off the rim. And the other night against Nigeria, it was a close game and the a U.S. free throw was hanging on the rim. And one of the Nigerians reached up and just pulled it off the rim. And the crowd at the uh, at Mandalay Bay, like, you know, gasped. And I understand why they gasped, because it's such an unnatural thing to see. Um, but it's totally legal. But the thing that it really messes with people and it absolutely destroyed Giannis. Uh, it's 2019 World Cup in China. Giannis played for Greece and he was so he struggled. He was the reigning MVP. And he struggled so much with this that I question whether he'll ever play international basketball again. He was miserable there. And that is that there's no, there's no defensive three seconds. So you can have your center or you can have three players. If you want stand in the front of the rim for the entire 24 just seconds. pack the paint. And in the case uh, with Giannis, they just sit there and wait for charges. They build a little fence and say, good luck getting through us. Well, he's got to learn some not, post moves. I mean, really, he's got well, to learn right. some baby hooks. But, but, in, like but in the NBA, he can drive in there, and because he's got good three-point shooters on the court with him, the other the players who are other guarding have to be outside the paint, and they have to, like, rotate in and throw, try to throw their bodies in the way. They don't have to do that in, um, in international ball. And so Gobert against the Americans, Gobert just sat there in the middle of the paint, and he had a brilliant game. He had, like, 27 points. 15 rebounds and like six, five, six blocks. And so when you look at France, you know that Gobert is going to stand in front of that rim and they'll play zone. And so they'll say, just beat us with the three. And in 2019, the Americans just couldn't. Um, then this year they're built too. But, you know, just keep in mind that, and, and the other thing is, and this always happens when the U.S. loses a game. Um, if you had never seen Frank Nilakina, if you didn't know who Frank Nilakina was, and you walked into this, this he was arena incredible. He was incredible. Yeah, like you would have at this arena in China, and 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 you know the game took place in the middle of the night in in August. I'm not expecting too many people to have watched it, but Frank Nilakina was out of his mind. Like he was amazing. You would have thought, oh my god, this guy's a top five lottery pick, and he was like a top ten pick. Um, no, I remember. And I was like texting uh, a guy I work with who's a huge Knicks fan. I'm like, dude, you must be loving what you know he's doing. Cause I thought that he was like, finally figured it out. And he was going to narrator. He, it didn't happen that way. It, it, it did not. It did not. <laughs> but it did that alert. night. And uh, Evan Fournier who, um, and that, just to give you an example. So Evan, For so Patty Mills is a free agent, right? Uh, all, none of the American, you know, if you're a free agent and you're an American, you are not playing in the Olympics. Right. Um, Aaron Baines, you know, is probably at the end of his career, but Aaron Baines is a free agent. He banged knees with Bradley Beal in the first quarter, uh, Tuesday, uh, um, Tuesday night. And, um, or was it yeah Tuesday night? No one Monday night. Sorry. I'm getting my days messed up Monday night. And he like, he's fine, but he got knocked out of the game. Like, you know, Patty Mills is risking injury. 
Evan Fournier playing for the French as a free agent in his prime years, risking his prime contract. Now I'm sure he's getting insurance, um, but like Germany qualified for the, um, for the, for the Olympics. Um, and Dennis Schroeder is not playing because they couldn't get enough insurance. Mm. And like, he's being jeered in Germany for not playing all these other teams. Like these guys are playing. Um, and that just shows you how much it matters. So Evan Fournier, he killed the Americans last time too. So, you know, the French have, the French have some, uh, some firepower. Well, tonight it'll be interesting to see the lines now up to 19, uh, during this taping of the podcast. That's just a lot of points to your point of 40 minute game and things like that. We'll see. Um, if the Americans respond, though, I'm, I'm softening my stance on that first half. I want to pivot to just, the NBA. Finals. I don't think the lines reflect the fact that it's a 40 minute game. I don't think they know anything. Like, it, there's just so many right. unknown. The, the, the you know, I, talking with odds makers throughout the NBA season with like load management, and then they're like, we don't care. Like, we're getting two way action. So we just have to put up, you know, roughly a good number. It's the betters that have the one sided action, right? They're going to get bets on both sides and then they'll move according to the. You know, best they just have to hang numbers, and they're going to get action, and they have the minus one ten. So, it's good for the business, the house. The question is, the betters, you know, if people are laying nineteen, this is like why that you know some of those LeBron teams with the Cavs were like the worst historic among the worst teams historically <laughs> ATS, right? Because if they're willing to lay fourteen, why give them eleven, right? If eleven is the true number, but they're still laying fourteen, and let the let the few sharps take the plus fourteen, but let the masses lay fourteen and the the house. So. If you have this minus 19 and everyone's going to load up on the Americans, then why put it at 14 and a half if it should be or something like that, right? That's I mean, the thought process at least. Yes. The other thing is, but I will say this, and I can't predict what happened in the second name of back-to-back. The Americans are trying to win these exhibition games because people aren't watching. You know, it's there's a lot of other things going on in sports right now. People aren't really watching these games. And I get texts from my friends and going, it's like, is he like playing the bench and is he playing the scrubs? I'm not that there's scrubs on team USA, but is he playing like the extreme backups, um, you know, down the stretch? I'm like, no, 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 no. He's, he's putting Durant and and Lillard and Tatum in with like six minutes to go to finish the game. They're trying to win these games. Yeah. Darius Garland played four minutes. Like that's it. Right. Like right. Durant Lillard, they're playing the most minutes, Bradley Beal. So I'm with you. Okay. Let's pivot to the NBA finals. I know uh, I want to let our listeners know after game four, on Wednesday night, you'll be taping a special joint podcast with Zach Lowe. So it'll be a nice edition of uh, Zach Lowe meets the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. And, you know, I'm not going to overreact to the Bucks winning game three. It was kind of expected. We've seen it not only with these Suns, but throughout NBA history, teams up 2-0, a little bit more relaxed, less feisty, less hungry. And the team that's down 0-2 coming home is desperate. And we saw that and loose balls and I know Monty Williams complained about the refereeing a little bit, but that also is a byproduct of players initiating contact. And it was the team that just, you know, was desperate mode because they could not go down 0-3. So my question is, now we kind of have like the real like game. And I think we could have the best game of the series right here in game four. The question is, can the Bucks continue to play well, i.e. the role players? Can Giannis still go for 40? And if Aiton's not in foul trouble, can they do enough for the offset, the Suns, I'm going to expect a regular shooting night, not the disastrous shooting that they got in game three. Right. It was really bad. I mean, not only was it really bad, I think they were nine of 31, but Jay Crowder was six of seven. Right, right. Crowder's great. So, I mean, he had like probably the best shooting game he's going to possibly, he's capable of having, and it's still, um, yeah. Um, 
So yes, you absolutely expect the Suns to get their three-point shooting uh, back in line. The thing that I would say is um, I've always believed, and there have been times when this has been shaken, and um, I have a, a friend at ESPN. I don't want to out him, but you know he's a friend at ESPN. You all know who he is, who did not vote for Giannis for either of those MVP awards and thinks all of us who did are out of our minds. That you look at a guy who cannot make a 20-footer under pressure and say that's your most valuable player and he just he thinks all of us who did are just absolutely loon, looney tunes he and he can't be talked differently um and there have been times where his point is um is is valid yeah know? i was gonna say it's a fair stance yeah um but i've always believed that Jan. i i, I call it the i call it the matrix moment but i don't know how many people follow the matrix have We've got so many people listen to podcasts who are, you know, under the age of 25. And um, I mean, you know, I'm talking about the matrix, right? Um, I've never seen it, but I know what an encounter is. Well, you just, you're proving, you know, you're proving the point. Um, You know, in the movie, the matrix, Keanu Reeves, Neo comes to a moment where he realizes he can control everything and he can't be stopped. And it's a very powerful moment in the movie. And, you know, it was a very, it was a big time movie 20 years ago, but I guess it's, I don't know. I've always believed that when Giannis figures out that he is literally unstoppable, that there will be nothing that can slow him down, that he will take, he will take playoff series by the throat and put them down on the ground and say, this is it. This is this same thing has happened with some of the all-time greats over the, over their careers. It absolutely happened with LeBron James. He got to a point where he realized I have the ability to take a playoff game and win it by myself. Obviously it doesn't happen all the time because it's still a team game. But being the ultimate difference maker, Jordan, this was the most classic case ever. Um, we've definitely seen that uh, with Kobe. We've seen it with Kawhi. We've seen it with Durant, where he just they just elevate themselves. But I believe Giannis was in the zone of like where Shaq was, where LeBron was, where if they are on, that they cannot be beaten. And I've always been disappointed in the playoffs that he has not quite gotten there because I felt that he had that ability. Like the last two games, he's done that. Yeah. He has gone to the matrix mode and said, you cannot stop me. I mean, he had 14 baskets at the rim in game three. And so um, I just told you that Giannis has not been able to do this regularly. So for me to sit there and say, I expect him to do it three more times. I can't say that, but I have now seen the matrix moment where Neo stops the bullets. Um, in this scene, they fire like 70 bullets at him. And he just stops them in midair. Uh, I, Giannis has stopped the bullets. And that's why the Suns are um, making such an issue of the officiating. Because if Giannis is going to be able to go in there and draw fouls instead of commit fouls, and he's going to be able to hit free throws at any rate um, and get Aiden into foul trouble. If eight, once Aiden leaves the game, they're in trouble. And uh, when Aiton plays, they're great. He is such an important player. Um, there, there's something there. I mean, I agree. When the Suns are clicking, they're the way that they play together, and you know the way Chris Paul just turns every single possession into a math problem. You do this, he does that. You step here, he goes there. The guy behind him goes this way, he goes the right way with the ball. Like it's beautiful to watch. And if you keep playing that over and over and over you know, uh, the Suns are going to, are going to churn through and probably come out at the end of the equation ahead. Um, I, I see that. And I recognize that, but this grand wild card, I have seen the last two games and um, it's just two games. It's just two games. Um, but 
What if it's, what if it becomes three? What if it becomes four? What if it becomes five? And that's why I think this finals is very compelling right now. It, it, it is compelling because we've seen Giannis and just, I mean, let's master the obvious playing through that injury is even more imp- what he's doing it's, that much more crazy. impressive, it's but crazy. I would, I mean, look, the narrative out there is that he's more Shaq than Kobe. Once he realizes that he's going to be unstoppable. I want him to do that. I, I think he needs to learn some baby hooks and things like that. I mean, though he's got that fade away on the baseline. That's frankly, I want him taking if I'm Phoenix instead of just these Euro steps in the key with these long strides and the long arms where he just dunks. It's incredible. And you're right about Aiton. The, the stats when he's ga- guarded by Aiton versus everyone else are just staggering. So Aiton in foul trouble is probably like the key to success, number one point, I think, for the Bucks. My concern is that he just is still raw when it's back to the basket on the block. Like if he just learned like the Kareem Skyhook or just a baby hook or just something like that, a drop step fade where he can go glass instead of like the total fade away towards the three-point line, that would be more effective. But – He's obviously great. He's putting up 40. Um, he's doing fine. He's he's unlocked some things. I just think there's more to do, and I'd like to see that evolution in his postgame as opposed to Dwight Howard, who's done nothing over his entire career in terms of def, you know developing uh, post moves and things like that. I mean, he's just kind of a waste of an athletic talent in that regard. But in this series, I like 250-ish right now because basically for that not to be value, the Bucks have to win the next two games. So you almost get a get a, in a roundabout way a free roll in four because if they are up three two after five games if they're up three one forget it but if they're up three two after five they're going to be more than minus two fifty favorites because think about the game seven money line now that's assuming these four point three and a half point spreads are going to hold true in both venues it's been kind of like a drastic change but obviously that's been dictated by just where we are in the series so this game I think will be really good. But the Bucks are still available. I just don't think there's like they don't hit shots like the Suns do. And I think Phoenix, you alluded to it. I've been saying it all along. They're just like a perfectly assembled team, mm-hmm. right? All the role players know their role and stay in their lane. The the egos give deference to Chris Paul because he's a veteran compared to these young guys. And each guy does his position so well. It's a beautiful brand of basketball, especially in an era where we have all this three point shooting, a lot of chucking and ducking. They shoot threes. But it's all like optimal shots in large part because what you said, Chris Paul attacking every possession like a math problem. And he's you have the ultimate like edge finder against the ultimate coach who doesn't find edges and doesn't understand and react and doesn't make adjustments. So I still like Phoenix here. I agree. And the other thing is I can't comfortably say to you that Giannis will be repeat these performances and not because of the Suns making defensive adjustments, but just because, you know, he... Like, honestly, I, I don't know how you can find a player who has a $250 million contract, but I would find some way to cause some sort of uh, a pain every time he takes a three-point shot. I, I, I just, I, I, I remain amazed that he ever takes one. And um, he has stopped, like, you know, back in the, um, in the series against uh, the, the uh, Nets, he, I think he had one game. He took seven of them or six. It's or insane. Seven. It's insane. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, but just in I mean, general, I, like, I mean, yeah. there was a 40 point game that they lost. That was game two. Right. And they lost by double digits. And in large part, cause you can't count on Middleton just to hit a bunch of three and get hot. Like he did the last couple games of the Eastern conference finals and even game one. And then obviously holiday did show up a little bit in the last game. So I just don't trust the supporting cast and they don't take, like they're not as pure looks and just pure offensive movement 
when they get their looks. It's a lot of like hand in the face as opposed to what Chris Paul creates this like open shot for Bridges in the short corner. It's it's remarkable how fluid and polished the Suns are compared to the Bucks. Well, you make a good point about Giannis being on the block, not just because like, you know, you want to throw it to him with his back to the basket and he can make a move. By the way, his, his you know, this is the thing with Kareem, the sky hook, which is hard to master. I, I, I don't know if you can just pick it up, but the sky hook was so incredible because it was an undefendable shot. It's kind of like uh, uh, Durant has an indefensible jumper yeah. because he's seven foot tall and he's got very long arms and he shoots the ball way over his head. So, even if you can get your hand up to his face, which is not easy, he absolutely cannot bother his shot. His shot, and this is the thing with the, with the Dirk fadeaway. It was so indefensible that um, the team started to try to come from behind and take it from behind because facing up with him was an indefensible shot. Um, and so if Giannis, you know, I don't know if Giannis is going to develop an indefensible shot, but just to develop some option to go to. But one of the reasons you want to have that is, as great as Giannis is with him dribbling at the top of the key and looking to penetrate in, you're giving the defense a little bit of a break because um, they don't have to guard any holiday and Middleton action. And that's one of the things that happened in the last round, you know, Giannis gets hurt uh, in game four. And then all of a sudden drew holiday has these awesome offensive games in six right. in games. Five it unlocked and six, the and offense. Say, they had four guys, at least 20 points. Right. And so, ideally, I mean, I talk to people in the league who are like, listen, Giannis is a center. They say Giannis is a center and Ben Simmons is a center and they should play center and maybe Agreed. not for 35 minutes a game, but that it will change the way everything goes. Um, but you know, it's an easier sell. It's an, it's, it's easier said than done, but clearly the bucks could possibly, you know, at this last game, they were at their best when Giannis was playing center. And, you know, I think the fewer minutes Brooke Lopez plays, I mean, Brooke Lopez is an effective player. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying bench him. The more minutes Brooke Lopez plays, I think the more favorite goes to the Suns. If Brooke Lopez is playing 20, 22 minutes versus 32 minutes, I think that favors the Bucs because that means those minutes are Giannis at the five, uh, and that's that stresses the Suns out. I agree. And it's not because Lopez is necessarily weak on either side of the court. He stretches the floor and lets Giannis roam the paint. But defensively, they like we remember in game one for the first entire first half, Chris Paul was singling out Lopez in the pick and roll. He wanted his defender to do the pick and pop and then figure it out from there. And then the second half when they went small, they did Pat, Pat Connaughton isolation. I, I agree. I like Lopez unders because of the pure minutes count. So you can get under his points and rebounds just because I think some of the odds are uh, projected in the 30-minute range, and it's just not going to be there. But in general, I, I just it's it's they have to do so much more to offset what the Suns do. The Suns just play their game, which, look, people can miss shots, and it wasn't just Booker. I mean, other guys can miss shots too. Um, it comes down, you know, it is, at the end of the day, a make-or-miss league for the most part. So they're not out of it, but I like Phoenix at the series price. Brian, it's been fun, man. Uh, I love that you're uh, sitting here doing – Team USA, NBA Finals, you're in Vegas. We're going to have to get together soon this week. Yeah, um, it's, uh, you know, Saturday, being in Vegas on Saturday um, where there was a Team USA game, which they lost, which I realized was not the uh, prime event. You had the UFC fight that was going on. Um, and what I didn't also realize was that there was a gigantic Garth Brooks concert. I don't oh, know yeah. if it was his first one back or if he's been back 
his residency or whatever. But those events all happening basically in the same corner of the strip, um, seeing Vegas like full bore again, it was like, whoa. And um, uh, then we have the WNBA All-Star game is here um, uh, this week. So, um, you know, <laughs> Vegas is back. <laughs> Vegas is back. And it's um, it's been interesting to uh, to be here and, and, and take that all in. Yeah, it was really funny. I was doing a stand up, a whip around basically and said, you know, the favorites went 11 and one or 10 and two, depending on the book at, at UFC. But meanwhile, one of the largest upsets ever in international hoops <laughs> taking place. Few doors down, down the street, literally yeah. down the street. At, so the, at MGM's so the underdogs other did arena. bark, just not one of uh, one of MGM's other spare arenas. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, great stuff. Looking forward to catching up in person this week and keep up the awesome work and looking forward to your podcast uh, tomorrow night. Thanks, Doug. I want winners. All right. Thanks again to Brian Windhorst and his pod is after game four. It's a joint podcast. It's the hoops, hoops collective with Brian Windhorst and Zach Lowe. Obviously Zach does a wonderful job, both on .com, on the jump and all the other platforms. And then obviously his low post podcast is excellent. So uh, Zach always has an interesting take and Brian has tons of information as well. So check that out after game four for that immediate reaction and uh, don't forget the Daily Wager podcast. We have plays, picks. Obviously, the sports calendar will resume later in the week. It's kind of slow right now. But, we, you know, we got some picks on the All-Star game. we got Team USA, things like that um, throughout the week. And then, obviously, the British Open is certainly significant this week. Um, thanks again to everyone. We always appreciate the rate, review, subscribe, download, all that fun stuff.